Hey, we're in Romans 2 today. We're walking our way through Romans, and we're, we made it to chapter 2, which is great. Only 15 chapters to go. Uh, very exciting, I know, for you and for me. So I came up with the most clever um, title for today's message. I'm very excited about it. I'm, let me introduce you to it. Judge Udy. Uh, isn't that awesome? I'm judging you right now for not liking this. Uh, so we all judge... Maybe if I explain it, um, we all have this tendency to judge, and so I thought, Judge Udy, it is great. Thank you. Um, only one person said it. It's okay. Judgmentalism is everywhere, so we're going to kind of talk about judgmentalism today and how it's kind of every place, and everybody's guilty. So I knew this message was coming up, so I started to sort of observe my own life. Where am I judging? So here are, uh, I wrote down a few. I have this past week questioned the decision making of several highly paid NFL and college football coaches <laughs> and not a few referees. I've questioned the fashion, hair, and grooming choices of several people at Walmart. I've questioned the driving acumen of most everyone in Greenville County, uh, pretty much everybody. I've questioned the governmental leadership at local, state, and national levels. I have questioned them all. I've actually, I'm a little critical of the rapper Jelly Roll. <laughs> I think you should have gone with Chimichunga. Uh, so I have notions around things. And here's the deal we all have ideas about stuff. We live in an incredibly judgmental world. If you look at any media, it is chock full of judgment. It's judgment 24 hours a day. In fact, what used to be news is now opinion, and it is everywhere. And so if you get online right this second, don't do it. But if you did, if you went to Twitter or whatever you go to, I get my news from Twitter, so I'm, that's the one I go to. If I go to Twitter right now, it's gonna, there's going to be somebody making a comment about Israel and somebody be making a comment about Biden and somebody making a comment about Trump and somebody making a comment about University of Kentucky football, and it's not good. Uh, uh, we are making uh, judgments and critiquing and being critical of everything. And so today, Paul is the author of the book of Romans. He is, it is brilliant. Now, it's not always easy to understand, and I'm happy to unpack it for you. And I've, I've really worked hard on these because they're, sometimes it's like, what is he even talking about? All right, here's what's going on in Romans. Paul is this guy who has never been to Rome, and so he's introducing himself, but he'd like to go. And as a teacher, he wants to come there, and he's kind of giving them an idea of the things he would teach. He, he, he's a preacher. He plants churches and that sort of thing. At the very beginning of chapter 1, he introduces himself. And then he talks about this, this need that we all have for salvation. He begins to talk about it at the end of chapter 1. We looked at that last week. And it was uncomfortable, frankly. He talks about uh, sexual sin and sexual disorder and economic disorder. And, and everything is disordered. Family disorder and spiritual disorder and social disorder. And Paul is writing to people in the church. And some of them are Gentiles, not Jewish. And some of them are Jewish. And here is our tendency. He started with the rebels. And rebellious sin is public. It's out in the open. It's something you see. 
And so he starts with that. And, and what could happen, what easily happens to people who are respectable, who are religiously, morally self-righteous, we look at the rebellious, their open sin, and we sort of turn our noses up. We, we mentally say, well, that's not me, or I would never do that. I would never be openly rebellious. And what Paul knows is that the, the, the uh, religiously, morally self-righteous, we might not sin openly, but we sin. There's a different kind of sin. And a lot of the sin has to do with how we treat those people. And, and so he, he goes from rebellious to the first part of chapter 2. He's talking about respectable. At the end of chapter 2, he's talking about religious people. He's going to kind of talk to the Jews at that point. But today he talks about, or the verses we're going to look at today, he's talking to the respectable people. And he, at the beginning he says, all right, he doesn't say it like this, but I'm going, to, I'm going to package it like this. There are characteristics of self-righteous people. And so as we look at these, it's really important to go, okay, is that me? I need to make sure that's not me. So let's look at them. The four characteristics of the self-righteous. Number one, they accuse others and excuse themselves. He says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at what point you judge, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. And he's using the word judgment there. And it's not so much judgment like um, I'm discerning or I'm analyzing, I'm evaluating. That's not what this word means. This word means it's critical. This word means I'm passing a verdict. I'm condemning. So we have a tendency to overlook our own stuff, but highlight somebody else's stuff. So if I'm driving, when I'm driving, um, if somebody else doesn't use their turning signal, and I know that's none of you, uh, because you're good people, it's those other people, you know, that, that don't use a turning signal. And, and if you don't use a turning signal, we have a tendency to say stuff like jerk or uh, uh, jerk, you know, something like that. Uh, but if you don't use your turning signal, you, I just forgot. Or I have something else on my mind. Or it was just a mistake. Okay, well, maybe they had something else on their mind. Maybe they always use their signal, but this one time they didn't. We have a tendency to highlight somebody else's error, and we sort of overlook our own. Um, there's an English word for this. It begins with hip, and it ends ocracy. Uh, it, it is hypocrisy for us to look at somebody else and to, to act as if their sin is worse than mine. When we do the exact same thing, I mean, they're not using their signal. Well, sometimes I don't use mine. And every time I do it, I almost always say something when somebody doesn't use their signal. I'll, I'll say, I've got this little thing. And uh, if Miriam is in the, in the car and somebody turns and they don't use a signal, I'll say, they're turning. And she'll say, how do you know? And I'll say, because they turned. Uh, that, that's our little thing. We do that every time. But now, when, when I don't use my signal, it's like, ah, man, you know, I, I know everybody's judging me because I judge people for that. So Paul is saying, look, you've you got to really be careful judging somebody else when you do the exact same thing. Let, let me tell you about this guy. This is a, what a cool name. This is Francis Two-Gun Crowley. 
He's in the 30s, man. All the gangsters in the 30s had great names, you know, um, like uh, Babyface Nelson. I mean, they had these great names. Well, Two Gun Crowley, uh, he, he killed people. He shot people. One time, he was making out with his girlfriend, and a police officer came up and asked him what he was doing, and he took the, the officer's gun and killed him, shot him to death. And they followed him. He went to uh, his apartment in New York, and the police figured out where he was, and they surrounded it. And while he is being, uh, you know, they're, they're calling in, and they're shooting in the, <laughs> into his apartment. I mean, it's kind of a crazy scene. While they're accosting him, he writes a note. This is what he writes. To whom it may concern, I am a weary but kind heart, one who would do nobody any harm. He writes this moments after he shot a guy to death. When he was sentenced to the electric chair, he said, this is what I get for defending myself. <laughs> no, this is what you get for shooting somebody. We have this tendency to downplay what we do and to highlight what somebody else does. And then we kind of rename it. We don't gossip. We share concerns. We don't, we're not critical. We're discerning. We're not negative. We're just realistic. And then if somebody calls us on it, well, it's just the way we are. I love this quote from Mark Twain. The person with a clear conscience usually just has a bad memory. I think that's kind of true. So, we accuse others and we excuse ourselves. They measure other people by the wrong standard. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. And the inference is, my standard isn't like God's standard. Look, you have arbitrary things that you think are true. I'll give you an example. I often hear something like this. Cheese makes everything better. Says who? Listen, the Institute of People with Superior Taste has done research on this, and the Institute of People with Superior Taste has found that your opinion, if you're a cheese person, is crazy talk. Uh, that is in the report. See, God judges, but it's not arbitrary. It's not just sort of a preference. God has all the information, and He judges perfectly. A third thing about self-righteous people, they believe putting others down will elevate themselves. So, he says, when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? It's like if I highlight somebody else's stuff, then God will overlook mine. If you're, if you're pulled over by a police officer for speeding and you're guilty... And he comes to the window, and I think they come to this window now. But anyway, if they, not that I know. Uh, but uh, they come to the window, and they talk to you, and you're having a conversation with the police officer, and you're trying to, you know, my speedometer doesn't work. You know, you all that stuff that, that we say. Uh, I, I use the, I'm going to a funeral. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, somebody's in the hospital, and they've just called me, and I'm a preacher. Uh, you know, you, there's stuff. You can't use that. But that's the kind of stuff you talk and let's say you're there, and the, and the police officer's pulled you over, and you see a guy coming up behind you, and he's flying. And so this verse is basically saying, that's you, and you say to the police officer, hey, look at him. Go get him. And, and Paul is saying, well, it's not how it works. It just doesn't work that way. And then there's a fourth thing about self-righteous people. They think they deserve God's blessing. Or do you show, he says, contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? 
what do you think is the cause of the blessings that you get? When I'm driving down Wade Hampton and I catch every green light, I will say verbally, out loud, in my car, whether there's anybody in there or not, if I catch all the green lights, I will say, that's because I'm living right. That's what I say. If I have to stop, I know why. It's because a bunch of sinners are out there and they're making the light turn red. That's not really on me. So uh, we think that we're blessed because of we deserve it. I want you to just for a second think about being an American. We're, there are 330-something million of us on a planet with 8 billion people. You do realize, don't you, that there are people all on this globe who have not even close to the freedoms that we have. I mean, what did you do to be born in as American? Or what did you do to come here? What, what did you do? I didn't do anything. My mom and dad were from Kentucky. I was born in Kentucky. I've only known freedom being an American. But my daughter, who now lives in Switzerland, she and her husband, they flew to Egypt for a vacation. My, my son-in-law works at Swiss Air. He got a cheap flight. They, they got a cheap little vacation thing. They went to a resort. It's one of those you know, last-minute things. They, they flew. But when they got to the resort, they were told, you cannot leave this resort. Because it's safe here, it's not safe there. We don't live like that. I mean, for the most part, we have so many freedoms and we can do so many things. And what did we do to deserve that? Well, <laughs> the answer is nothing. I often think, I was, yesterday I was outside and it was, a, what a day yesterday was it. I was outside and I was just thinking, God, what did I do? To deserve this. Jesus put it this way. He said, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and send rain, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Just because good things happen to you doesn't mean you're good. We think, okay, I'm, I'm receiving God's blessing because I'm good. Well, Paul said it, his kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Wow, man, God is really blessing me. Therefore, I should... <laughs> Be more appreciative. We're entering a season called Thanksgiving. And, and we can be more thankful and, and we can start noticing, okay, well, these are the things to be thankful for. Uh, all this blessing that God gives us. There's an old saying, you catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. Look, God is doing this to be attractive to you. Now, we have to be discerning. You, you have, in life, you've got to figure some stuff out. In business, sometimes people are honest and sometimes they're not. Uh, at school, sometimes people are kind and sometimes they're not. And you have a responsibility to be discerning. But there's a fine line between being discerning and being judgmental. So let's talk about it just for a second. When discerning becomes judging is when we draw conclusions based on outward appearance. Jesus said, stop judging by mere appearances. So if you judge somebody based on the color of their skin or the style of their clothes or the cut of their hair, then you are in error. When I was about 17 years old, I, we played church softball and me and my buddies, and you know, I was um, remarkably athletic and uh, uh, was kind of the leader of the team and all that. And we rolled in one day to a softball game. It's July. And we're warming up, warming up. And we're looking, we're scouting the other team. We don't know this team. We're playing in a tournament. We're scouting this team. 
everybody on the team has blue jeans on. In July. Not cutoffs, not jorts. Blue jeans. And then they've got shirts with the sleeves cut out. Like they got off the set of Dukes or Hazard. I mean, it's like, we're playing the Duke boys. I mean, it was, it was comical. Like, look, man, I'm an athlete. <laughs> uh, just work with me. I'm an athlete. And I'm looking over at that, and I'm going, I, I huddle all my little prissy boys up, and I say, we all had our little collars popped. You know, we, we were something. And I said, boys... As an act of Christian charity, we need to take it easy on the Duke boys. Let's just take it easy on them. Let's not run as fast as we can. Let's not, you know, let's not humiliate them. Then the game started. The Duke boys proceeded to beat the ever-loving dignity out of us. I mean, they run-ruled us in three innings. I have never seen anybody hit harder, run faster, or throw, uh, throw the ball more accurately. I could only imagine how fast they could be if they didn't have blue jeans on. I mean, it's like, how could you run that fast? I can't even walk in blue jeans. These guys are flying around the bases. They're hitting the ball. They're, it was unbelievable. And there's an expression for this. You do not judge a book by its cover. It came from this. People look at outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Stop judging people by how they appear. It's easy to do. Happens all the time. It's not right. Discerning becomes judging when we condemn before we hear all the facts. Does our law concern a man, uh, condemn, sorry, condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? So, media today, they'll take a quote out of context and put it into the, the atmosphere, uh, and it'll be taken out of context, and then everybody, news is really not news anymore, it's opinion, and so everybody will have a hot take and a, uh, an opinion about it, and, and then, here's the thing, I've been a pastor and I've counseled many times in my life. There's always two sides to every story. And, and I'll, t I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, so-and-so's a big jerk, you know, or whatever. And, and, and I'll listen. It's like, okay, okay, okay. And then you talk to so-and-so and they're like, no, no, it went this way. And there's two sides to every story. But today, you have to be first and you have to get, you know, your opinion out the quickest and it has to be the most outrageous. And that's what gets clicks and that's what people look at. And we're living in an ocean of opinion. And much of it is not based on the complete story because we don't know the story yet. And there it is and it's out there and, and we just don't know everything. Unless you think as a preacher, it never happens to preachers. There's a guy named John Wesley. You may have heard of him. He was a great uh, Christian pastor uh, hundreds of years ago. He had a church. He had a, a guy in his church. He took up an offering. They took up an offering. And John Wesley noticed this guy didn't give very much. And he publicly um, criticized him. Well, which is never a good thing. So the guy pulls Wesley aside Pastor Wesley, and he says, this is why uh, I, I couldn't give more. He said, I'm, I'm a new Christian, and I have a lot of debt, and, and I owe people. 
And he said, I'm living on, let me see if I can find the, what, what he was living on. Um, I'm living on parsnip, I think. Is that something? Parsnips. You know what that is? Like a carrot looking thing. He said, I'm living off of parsnips and water. And I can barely pay my tithe. And I gave everything I could give. Because I want to show people, when Jesus comes into a man's heart, he changes the way he does business. <laughs> John Wesley had criticized him without knowing the whole story. And he stood up in church, Wesley did, and he publicly apologized. And he asked for forgiveness, which is a good idea, by the way. Because you can't judge unless you know all the facts. And then a third thing, when we ungraciously judge a person's spirituality. Uh, Paul wrote another letter to a, a place called Colossae, and he says, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days and new moon ceremonies and Sabbaths. And in religious world, there are debates. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. We were Sunday school, church, training union, which is night Sunday school, church, evening church, and Wednesday night. We were five times a week church people. Five times a week church people sometimes condemn four times a week church people, or three times a week church people, or one time a week church people, which you might as well just be a pagan. Uh, that's just kind of how it works. And so we judge stuff. Back in Paul's day, they would judge, you're worshiping on Sunday. You should be worshiping on Saturday. Uh, you're eating meat. You shouldn't be eating meat at all. You certainly shouldn't be eating meat uh, that had been sacrificed to idols. And Paul's like, it doesn't really matter if it was ever sacrificed to idols, but if eating meat causes offends you, then I won't eat any meat. They, they debated things like, uh, could you, in my time, you, could you drink alcohol or not drink alcohol? Could you go to movies or not go to movies? I mean, these things are every place in church world. And Paul is talking to respectable people. Hey, let us not judge each other on things that simply aren't in Scripture. Just not there. In fact, he does give us some guidance don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And that first part of that sentence, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, is one of the most difficult commandments that you can ever have. It is a 21st century American commandment, because it's really hard to do. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And he understood the motives. Look, we do this because, you know, we want to steer God someplace else. Somebody else is sinning. We want to kind of point out somebody else's sin. And what Paul is saying in all of this is, look, the rebellious, you, you were amening during the rebellious stuff. But now the respectable stuff, maybe you're not so open about it, but you still sin. And we all hear stories, and we've heard stories about a guy who's a politician who rails against pornography, and then come to find out he was a pornographer. Or rails against adultery, but he had a mistress. Or rails against whatever, but he does whatever. We, we, we all hear those stories, and we all think to ourselves, what hypocrites? Well, guess what? Look in the mirror. Paul is saying, look in the mirror. Because we're all hypocrites at some point. 
Look, we all kind of do this stuff. And then he says this, as for me, it doesn't matter. It matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. All right, so here's what happened with Paul. This guy would go to towns. He would plant churches. He would leave, and people would come in after him, and they, they would accuse him of stuff. Oh, he just planted a church to get money. He just planted a church for his ego. He just planted a church because he wants to be popular. And so, I don't know, can you put, your, put yourself in his shoes? All right. This is a guy who goes places, sometimes they stone him. They literally throw stones at him. Sometimes they arrest him and they beat him. They jail him. They put him in the stockades. I mean, they, they put him in chains. He, he is doing all of this, and yet people are coming in afterwards like he's only doing it for money. He's only doing it to be popular. Well, good grief. And so Paul is like, it's, it's almost as if he's saying, I'm, I'm at the point now where it matters very little how, much, uh, how I might be evaluated by you or anybody else. The next sentence is brilliant. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. I, I think I might be doing okay. I don't even trust, trust that because we have a tendency, as I said at the very beginning, to excuse our own sin and highlight somebody else's. He's like, okay, I don't particularly care what other people are saying. I don't even trust what I think. How many of you have ever said to yourself, maybe out loud, you, you say something and then you say, I don't know why I said that. Why would I say that? Why would I text that? Why would I think that? Why would I do that? This is Paul. I don't know why I do some of this stuff. I do things and I don't know why I do them. And then he says, my conscience is clear. That doesn't even prove I'm right. I, I could have a clear conscience and still be wrong. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. And that is the whole point around this particular text we're looking at. I, I, I don't know why I do certain things. It's a little cloudy why I, what my motivation is. But here's the problem. When I judge others, I'm playing God because only God gets to judge. At Halloween, I saw this on, I think it was on Facebook. I don't get on Facebook much, but there was a, some Christians condemn Halloween. So this Christian was condemning Christians who condemn Christians for Halloween. It was a hard thread. I really it was really hard to, to follow. So you're condemning the people who condemn the people who do Halloween. Okay, okay, I got you. I mean, we just have this tendency to be really critical. And yet Paul later in, in Romans says, Who are you to judge? Somebody else's servant. Before God, we stand or we fall. Now, when Paul said, I care very little, it didn't say I, didn't, I don't care at all. I don't, I don't know how that would even be possible. And it depends on your personality. I, I'm a people pleaser. It matters to me what you think, just how it works. Um, some people, my dad wasn't like that. <laughs> he was like, he just did what he thought was right. And, and let the chips fall where they may. You know, different people, different personalities, just how it works. But, but in this text, Paul is saying, okay, there's coming a judgment 
Now, there's the debate about judgment. I'll, I'll give you the best answer I can give you today. Uh, scholars, some scholars think there's three judgments. Some people believe there's two judgments. Some people think there's one judgment. I don't know exactly how it works. I do know that God will judge. Let's look at it. Now, before, I, I, let me anticipate a question. What about Christians? I'll get there. But let's see what, what Paul says about this. When will people be judged? Well, look what it says. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when, he will, when His righteous judgment will be revealed. He will someday judge. It's on the calendar. He's got it marked. We're not going to get a delay, a postponement. There's a day coming. Jesus said much the same thing. I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. I'm in trouble on this one. I'm an idle word factory. I've got hard drives of idle words. I mean, I can't imagine the day of judgment comes and I get to give an account for every idle word. But that's what Jesus said. We'll be there a while. Me, me and Jesus will be there a while. How will God judge? Well, He judges truthfully. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. He judges truthfully. He knows everything. Look at this verse. This is so scary. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. All right, so I've told you about this show before. There's a show on the ID Network or someplace. It's called um, See No Evil. And it's a, it's, it's a real show about detectives who use cameras um, to solve crimes. So I don't know if you notice, I notice cameras everywhere. Uh, the building next door, there, there's at least two. Do you all notice this stuff? You should. Because if you ever like kill somebody, they're going to catch you. Uh, so um, this is your pastor telling you uh, this is stuff you need to know. What's, what's interesting is, so they commit a crime over here, and nobody sees it, but they know the car, and the car is driving this way, and there's a ring camera on somebody's house, and it catches the truck here, and then there's another camera, and it catches the truck here, and eventually uh, every criminal evidently goes to Walmart, and there are lots of cameras there. I don't know why. If you commit a crime, don't go to Walmart. There are too many cameras. Uh, and uh, again, uh, better advice, uh, don't commit a crime. But if you do, there are cameras every place. And I keep thinking, man, <laughs> if I got to whack somebody, uh, I'm going to really have to watch for the cameras because that, that's what that show does for me. But look at what it says. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. You might get away with it here. You might be able to outwit the Greenville County Police Department. Or is there other police here? Is there like a Greer? You might be able to outwit the Greer Police Department. Taylor's? Ah, good. We're safe. Uh, okay. <laughs> this verse freaks me out a little bit. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. We're coming up on Christmas. We sing that little song. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. 
So be good for goodness sake. He will judge. He has all the information. There are, um, there's something called the dark web. Ooh, the dark web. And on the dark web, according to people who are on the dark web, uh, there's your information's out there. Maybe your social security number or something, you know, they, they have information. Well, God's got all the information. He, he just knows. I don't think that's given to us to scare us, although it is a little freaky. But, but God knows. So I'm looking at it from the negative. Let's look at it from the positive. If God knows every bad thing I do, guess what? He also knows every good thing I do. He knows every act of kindness that goes unnoticed maybe by everyone else. He knows when I do the things that I'm supposed to do. He knows that too. This is the good side of it. The second part is, he not only judges truthfully, he judges impartially. For God does not show partiality. If you listen to the news, sometimes they'll say, Judge Smith made this ruling. But they'll say, oftentimes they'll say, Judge Smith, an Obama appointee, or Judge Jones, a Trump appointee. And what they're saying subtly, or maybe not so subtly, they're saying they judged, but they judged with a liberal bias. Or they judged with a conservative bias. Well, God judges with no bias. So what's it based on? How does he judge us? Well, our conduct. He'll judge everyone according to what we've done. He kind of keeps account of that, what we've done. I'm not accountable for what my wife does or my kids do or my parents did. I'm accountable for me. Now, I can't blame somebody. If my dad had been better, if my mama had been I'm accountable for me. I, I can't, I'm not even accountable for what I wanted to do or what I thought I should do or what I intended to do. I'm, I'm not accountable for that. I'm only accountable for what I've done. Now look at this verse. To those who, by persisting in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. And this seems as if you can work for salvation. We're going to get to that. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Now, if there is a text that seems to go against what we already know, you have to do something called, it's called systematic theology. What does the entire Bible say? So let's go to one. For it is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gifts, so that no one can boast. You can't earn salvation. However, God has made us what we are, and in our union with Christ, He has created us for a life of good deeds. We are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. It will cause us to do good things. Jesus said this, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. We believe our way to salvation. Now, we're accountable for our Conduct, we're accountable for our conscience. All who sin apart from the law also perish apart from the law. Those who sin under the law will be judged by the law. He's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews. The Gentiles didn't have the law. The Jews have the law. Look at what he says here. 
For it is not by those who hear the law uh, that are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey. It's not what you know, it's what you do. And then he says this, even Gentiles who don't have the law show that they know what the law, that the law, it's, it's instinctively they obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate God's law is written in their hearts. You don't get a, you don't get a pass because you don't have the law, he's saying. So God judges us by our conduct, by our conscience, by our character. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. It's really a little bit intimidating. All right. So there's going to be a judgment. You're going to be judged by your character, your contents. You're going to be judged... Uh, by your conduct, by your conscience. These are things that we're judged on. It's, it's your life in total and your motives, your secret life. And that can be a little intimidating. But let's end with this. Uh, I've watched shows, I've watched stuff, I like legal stuff, and if, if somebody is uh, accused of a capital offense, they will say something like this. See if you've ever heard this. I'm going to get the best money, I'm going to get the best lawyer money can buy. I'm going to get the best law your money can buy. Because if you're in trouble, you want the best law your money can buy. All right, let's end with a, a better verse, a, a more positive verse. But if anyone does sin, so here's the deal. You can achieve heaven apart from Christ. All you have to do is live a perfect life. You live a perfect life, just like Jesus, you get in. All you have to do is live a perfect life. Since that's probably not many of us, he says, if anyone does sin, it's almost tongue-in-cheek, well, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. In the law, there's a saying. A person who is his own lawyer has a fool for a client. Someday we stand in judgment. You can defend yourself. Or there's a better option. We have an advocate who pleads our case. This is an option for you and me. I, I'm going to be happy because I remember, I know my life. I will be delighted when I stand before the throne of God and Jesus is my advocate. It will take the fear away. I mean... To stand before a perfect, holy God, well, that's something. That's intimidating. But if you have an advocate who pleads your case before the Father, well, then you're going to be okay. Paul in this section is saying, look, you're respectable, good people. The rebellious people, we see all their sin. We see all that. 
you aren't like that. But you're still in trouble. <laughs> you know, you're not, you don't sin like that. But you sin like this. And you're still in trouble. It's a different trouble. It's still trouble. And you still need an advocate. And you can defend yourself, but that's not going to be very positive. Or you can choose an advocate. And his name is Jesus. I chose Jesus to be my advocate when I was seven years old. I understood I was a sinner, that I uh, was in, uh, uh, in danger of eternity apart from God. So I asked Jesus to be my advocate. You can do that too. It's very simple. It's a matter of saying, Lord, I'm in trouble and I need an advocate. I need somebody to plead my case. I want Jesus to do that for me. I want Jesus to come into my life and guide my life. It's simple. A seven-year-old little boy can do it. You can do it too. Thank you, Lord, for this message today. Sometimes we get a little arrogant, a little cocky. Think we're better than other people, self righteous. Thank you for the reminder that we too are sinners. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to walk closely, closely with you. If anybody's in the room who doesn't have you as their advocate, Lord, I pray that today might be the day that they would say, you know what, that's something I, I want and I need. Because it's foolish to stand before a holy God without an advocate. I pray that you'll draw them unto yourself. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.